Morning, our Bible reading for this morning is Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 to 18. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Pelchizazar, after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy God is in him. I said, Belchizar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked and therefore before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked and there before me was a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. And let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till several times pass for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it to me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. May God grant us understanding of his word.
Okay, hopefully you've got a Bible in front of you um, and you can see where we're looking. We're actually looking at Daniel chapter 4 and chapter 5 this morning, so it's a bit of a long passage, but you'll see as we get into it that it all links together. I'm conscious, though with all the, the change in routine and stuff, it's very wearying. So how about I pray that we can concentrate just on this small thing at the moment and, and see what we can hear and understand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask as we look at your word now, we pray that you'd help us to understand what we need to about Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and about you. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to be proud, but to trust in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Pride is an amazing thing, isn't it? Um, we all have the capacity to be proud in very unhelpful ways. Even the, the quiet ones among us have this way that we can be proud. And it can be very difficult to admit that we've failed, very difficult to admit that we need help. I think um, I can understand this more from the, the male perspective, I reckon. So for the men among us, I think, how many DIY jobs that you've taken on have actually been, I suppose, a success, won't you call it that, where you've launched out with all this confidence thinking, I'll do this, 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 this and this, and made a complete bodge up of the whole thing, and then you have to call the plasterer in or you have to call the electrician in to fix up your mess. It's times like that where you realise, yeah, there is something in us, isn't it, where we are proud and we don't want to accept help. And I think as Australians, it's kind of very much built into us, but it's there for us all. I could try and think of examples for, you know, the more, the more feminine examples, of, but I'm just not going to go there. It's hard to admit that we've failed, that we need help. And I think that's what makes Daniel chapter four so unusual because here you have a record a life, a, a record of someone's life, a record of a, a mighty king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is admitting that he's made a mistake. He's a self-made man. He's a DIY man. But this is a record of his failure, a record of him learning to ask for help and learning the hard way. Um, let me remind you of what we've seen so far in Daniel over the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, we looked at Daniel chapter one. We saw that Daniel and his friends were a long way from home in every way that you can think of. But God wasn't finished yet. And so Daniel um, has this understanding that God has the whole world in his hands. God is sovereign over these kings. And so Daniel trusted God, even when it meant being different, even when it meant saying no, even when it meant putting himself in a position where he would suffer the consequences. Then last week we saw in Chapter 2 the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that kept him up at night, the dream that put the great King Nebuchadnezzar in his place. God is God and Nebuchadnezzar is just another man. It can be hard to admit you've failed. And back in Chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, well, he's no different. And so by the end of Chapter 2, he doesn't freely admit that he needs God or that God is fully God. He does acknowledge God now, but only through Daniel as Daniel's God. Then in chapter 3, which we haven't covered at church, but we've covered in growth group, what you see there is Nebuchadnezzar, he goes ahead and makes a massive image, most likely of himself, a massive image, and he commanded everyone to bow down to it. And Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse and so find themselves thrown into a furnace. But God spared them. And once again, Nebuchadnezzar, watching all this, seeing all this happen, he's forced to acknowledge that God is powerful. But once again, he doesn't go all the way. He acknowledges God as the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Then finally, in today's chapter, in chapter four of Daniel, we have Nebuchadnezzar's confession, but it only comes after God has humbled him. Um, now he'll acknowledge God. You look back, you look back through these chapters and you have to admit he's learned his lesson the really hard way. Chapter four, it's like the confessions of this self-made man, this DIY man. Have a look at the first couple of verses of the chapter. Remember, this is one of the greatest kings who's making this confession. So four verse one, King Nebuchadnezzar to the nations and the peoples of every language who live on the earth. May you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders the most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And then if you look at the end of the chapter from verse 34, so chapter 4, verse 34, you'll see a similar thing. So verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. My sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. It's a massive turnaround for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the king who had people address him as, O king, live forever, is now acknowledging that, in fact, it's only God who lives forever and rules forever. He's finally learned what Daniel already knew. God has the whole world in his hands. It's hard for us to admit that we failed. Nebuchadnezzar was no different. He didn't arrive at this point easily. God had to force him to his knees. The dream in chapter 2, that wasn't enough for Nebuchadnezzar to admit he'd failed. Seeing Shadrach, Meshach and Bendigo survive the furnace in chapter 3, that wasn't it either. Here in chapter 4, he has another dream. It's a dream that causes him to lose sleep yet again. It's a dream that causes him to be afraid. Or if you look in verse 5, it makes him terrified. Again, like in chapter 2, he asks the wise men of Babylon to interpret his dream. Verse 7, they can't. So Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel for help. And if you go down to verse 19... Daniel also finds this dream alarming. So verse 19, then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. This dream, it's alarming to Nebuchadnezzar. It's alarming to Daniel you know, I wonder whether those wise men in Babylon had an inkling of where this dream was heading and what, and that was why they couldn't say what it was either. It's alarming because it predicts that great King Nebuchadnezzar will be completely and utterly made mad. He'll lose his entire kingdom and he'll lose the respect of all people around him. Have a look what Daniel tells him in verse 24. This is the interpretation, Your Majesty, and this is the decree the Most High God has issued against my lord, the king, you'll be driven away from people. You will live with wild animals. You'll eat grass like an ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth, on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. That's the dream. Scary but true. Nebuchadnezzar will be completely humbled by God. Um, verse 26, we notice that God will restore Nebuchadnezzar if he admits to his pride, if he admits 
that in fact God is God and he's not. So if you look at verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its fruits means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. And therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your weakness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. You're looking across this, you think, yeah, it is hard for us to come to that point, hard for us to admit that we're wrong, to admit that we've been proud, hard to us to, for us to admit that we can't do it ourselves, that God is God. There's a whole 12 months between the vision and Nebuchadnezzar going mad, and right up to the last, Nebuchadnezzar deceives himself into thinking he doesn't need God. Have a look at what happened to this self-made man, this expert DIY man. So verse 29, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my might, power, and for the glory of my majesty, even as the words were on his lips, a voice from heaven came. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you, and down he falls. How hard it is for us to admit that we failed. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't do it unless he was completely humbled. But now we are here reading the confessions of this self-made man because verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar finally returns, or finally turns to acknowledge that God is God. And as you look across this chapter, it does make you think, doesn't it, about what it means for us too to be Christians. And it makes you think too about passages in the New Testament. Like, for example, it makes me think of Mark chapter 10 where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus looks at him and loves him and says, give up everything. It's the only thing you lack. And he says he can't. Um, and Jesus says it's impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But then he adds, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. It does describe us, doesn't it, as Australians. We are very self-sufficient. It's very hard for us to let go. There's so many success stories among us. We hang on to those. It's very hard for any of us to admit that actually, no, God is God and we need his help. Often it takes something like a, a pandemic, doesn't it, to ram it home that actually, no, we're not in control. We don't have this world under our control. God's sovereign. And even then, even when you come to that point, it's only by God's grace that any of us turn to put our trust in Jesus. It's only by God's grace that we become part of his kingdom. Because becoming a Christian means admitting that you've rebelled against God and asking for his forgiveness. And the amazing thing is that God can do that. He can forgive us because of Jesus' death in our place and because of Jesus' resurrection, his conquering sin and death. So as we look at this account in Daniel 5, it is a reminder that, yeah, it's hard to admit our pride, to admit that we need God. Here in Chapter 4, we have a record of Nebuchadnezzar being humbled, finally turning to God, the confessions of self-made man, and then you turn to Chapter 5, Daniel Chapter 5. I reckon these chapters are meant to be read together. Daniel 4, um, we have the king who did. He did humble. He did turn. In chapter 5, we have the king who didn't. In chapter 4, you have the king who acknowledged God. In chapter 5, you have the king that didn't. And so I think we're supposed to read these in contrast and see what's happening here. I think, too, we're meant to notice the full hardiness of Belshazzar. So chapter 5 is a record 
of the fall of Nebuchadnezzar's foolhardy son, or maybe it's grandson, either way, the fall of Belteshazzar. And the NIV talks about him in verse 2, verse 11, and verse 22 as the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar publicly admits his mistake and calls on others to trust in God, but his own son, Belshazzar, didn't, didn't listen to God. He chose to keep ignoring God. So chapter 5 opens by describing Belshazzar's feast that he had, and it's some feast. So if you look at chapter 5, verse 1, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. You get the picture? The repetition kind of rams it home for you, just the, the, what's really going on here. It's a massive party loaded with wine and with women. And Belshazzar willingly chooses to ridicule the God of the Jews, the people of Israel. He brings in those valuable things from their temple and they just party with them. The God whom Nebuchadnezzar, his father, called on everybody to acknowledge. Here's Belshazzar mocking And this time, God skips all the dreams, steps things up a gear. God sends a human hand to write on the wall, and Belshazzar is petrified. So verse 5, verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster on the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale. He was so frightened that his legs became, became weak and his knees were knocking. Belshazzar, he calls on the wise men. They're no good. He has to be told by the queen that Daniel is the man who could help. And just let this think for a minute. This is foolhardy Belshazzar. He ought to know all these stories from Nebuchadnezzar. He ought to know that Daniel is the man you go to in this sort of situation. He doesn't. Here's the verses that I think we're supposed to notice, though. If you look down at 5 verse 18, your majesty, the most high, sorry, the most high God, your father, Your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sorry, try this again, verse 18. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and all the peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, He was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with wild donkeys and ate grass like an ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your days. Belshazzar is like the old Nebuchadnezzar. 
the stubborn, proud Nebuchadnezzar, like his father, a self-made man, but worse, more arrogant toward God. Why is it when, I mean, you see this, don't you? In our own lives, you see it. Why is it that the people that follow our examples, our kids in particular, why is it they choose all the worst bits of us to imitate? Why does that happen? It's what's happened here, isn't it? The same pride that Nebuchadnezzar had knocked out of him, it's reared its head again in his son, only worse. And the sobering thing, thing for each of us is others do that with us too. They follow our example. They pick up on the things that we don't want them to. In this instance, God's judgment is swift. Daniel interprets the message of judgment. It's written on the wall. And then look what happens in verse 30, that very night. Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Chapter 4, yeah, it shows us the confessions of a self-made man. Chapter 5 records the fall of his foolhardy son. It can be hard for us to admit that we're proud, hard to us, for us to admit that we need God's help. And even when we do, others will follow our mistakes, won't they? But there's a question that niggles in the back of your mind, doesn't it? As you look at chapter 4 and then you compare it with chapter 5, there's a question that niggles in the back of your mind. Why? Why didn't God give Belshazzar the same opportunities that he gave Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had at least three warnings that we know of. First thing is, you know, maybe the book of Daniel doesn't record every opportunity he had, perhaps. But there's another thing. God's working to a plan that is much bigger than Belshazzar. And time's just run out. So we know from the rest of the Old Testament that God has a plan that will involve the fall of Babylon. It's going to happen in God's timing. Um, you see, for example, in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 12 to 14, I'll read it for you. Jeremiah 25, verse 12, but when the, seven, when the 70 years are fulfilled, I think it's talking about the exile, I'll punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord. I'll make it desolate forever. I'll bring on that land all the things I've spoken against it and all that are written in this book and, the prof- and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by the nations and great kings around. I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. And you'll see similar things ahead in Jeremiah in chapter 27. <laughs> I think it's the Bible being read live. <laughs> Why didn't God give Belshazzar a second chance? Why didn't God give Belshazzar a second chance? Perhaps because God's working to a bigger plan and the time has run out. It's time now for Babylon to fall. There's no time for a second chance any longer. And perhaps there's more to this too. Perhaps God just knows that Belshazzar will not listen. Clearly, Belshazzar, he hasn't listened to his own father, to Nebuchadnezzar. He's, he's not listening. And as we read it this way, we, it, it does hit home, doesn't it, for us too. If we listen to God's word and respond, he does show mercy. But if we don't listen, there's nowhere else to turn. I mean, you see this again in the rest of the Bible. I mean, you think about Jonah and the Ninevites. God sent Jonah to the Ninevites, a horrible people, a Gentile nation, a, a people that Jonah was reluctant to go to, but he finally went. And when he speaks God's words of judgment, they listen and they all turn and they repent. And so God 
withholds his judgment. And then in the New Testament, Jesus holds up the people of Nineveh as an example for the Jews. So in Luke 11, verse 32, we read, Jesus says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented of the preaching of Jonah. And now someone greater than Jonah is here, Jesus. Why didn't God give Belshazzar a second chance? Perhaps because God knows that Belshazzar has no inclination to listen. But certainly God's also working to a bigger plan and time has run out. And as you think about that as us reading this as New Testament Christians, we're waiting for Jesus to return. We don't know when that will be. Time will run out. Looking back across the chapter, uh, these two chapters, what do we take away from it? Well, I pointed out a few things along the way. It can be hard to admit our pride. I think that's the big lesson. We should be aware that you know, others will follow our example. Just keep that in mind. But perhaps the big thing is make sure you are listening. So Daniel 4 and Daniel 5, they show us the confessions of the self-made man in chapter 4 and the fall of his full-hearted son in chapter 5. As we read this, we know God hasn't changed. He's the same God. He remains merciful to those who listen to him, and he judges those who refuse to listen. And as we read this, we know we as people, we haven't changed either. Pride is still our worst enemy, and it's hard to admit that we need help. And for us as, you know, Aussie battlers that just don't like to accept help from anyone, it's very hard to admit, no, I need help. I've done wrong here. Let's pray that we don't have to learn the hard way, like Nebuchadnezzar. And if you've been around church for a while and you are choosing to ignore the truth that you keep hearing about God, then stop ignoring and start listening. If you're waiting for, you know, the right time to repent and the right time to say sorry, the right time to change, we'll stop waiting because you don't know when time will run out. So let's, as we think about these two chapters, let's pray for ourselves and pray for each other. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this part of the Bible, it is a, a sober reminder. It's a reminder of our failure our failure to listen to the truth about God, our failure to acknowledge that you are God overall, our failure to submit ourselves to Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour. God, we are sorry for being proud. We're sorry for living our way without you. And we do thank you for Jesus, for his death in our place, for his victory over sin and over death. We pray that you would forgive us and change us to live for Jesus while there is still time. And Father God, we pray for those who we know will follow our example, our children in particular. And please would you work in their hearts and spare them the mistakes that we've made. Please cause them to listen to you, to acknowledge that you are God. And please help them to live for Jesus too, we pray in his name. Amen.